And now, it's time once again for the show that gives glorious voice to 25 million business owners across the fruited plain. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker. Thank you, Dude Walker. Yes, indeed, I am Frank Felker. Welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise. My guest today is Luke Stuber. Luke is Director of Clinical Research and Development at a medical technology company called Cognition, headquartered in Santa Barbara, California. Luke Stuber, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited as well. We've got some crazy stuff, some, shall I say, some mind-blowing stuff to talk about. <laughs> uh, this is literally, what we're going to talk about today is both literally and figuratively mind-altering. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I want to start by uh, introducing a device that you guys at Cognition have developed. And in order to be sure that I'm describing it correctly, I'm going to read here. We're going to talk about the Cognition One, a hands-free augmented reality device that the user controls with their brain via seven non-invasive electrodes placed on their head. Now, I'm going to show everybody a picture of that in just a minute, but... Let's start off with you telling us a little bit about why was this device created? What problem was it designed to solve? Sure, absolutely. So, um, so just by by means of minor background, I'm, I'm a speech language pathologist uh, by training, which most people, if they even know that phrase, sort of associate with uh, with stuttering um, or, or with you know kids that can't say the R sound or whatever. Um, but there is a whole other subfield um, called augmentative and alternative communication, which is kind of a hilariously long term uh, for a field that ostensibly is supposed to help people communicate better. But <laughs> in any event, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the sort of cardinal example people think about is Stephen Hawking, who um, uh, spoke using a computer. Um, but there's actually a large number um, of people in the world that could benefit from that technology and only a small fraction of them, um, something like 7% in the United States and, and much less worldwide, actually really have access to it. Um, mm. So, but we're, we're talking about several several New York cities of, of folks that, um, uh, you know, that are, are either nonverbal or don't have the motor ability um, to, 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 you know, to vocalize basically, but might still be cognitively totally intact. And uh, the idea behind this device, um, so typically what's been made in our field are uh, either touchscreen um, sort of communication devices or eye gaze uh, communication devices. Um, so folks that can you know, look around and fixate on an object. Um, this is designed for, uh, I mean, this can be used certainly by, by anybody um, who needs to communicate, but the critical thing here is that it's the first time that um, a mixed reality display, augmented reality display, has been paired with a brain-computer interface. Um, so what that, what that unlocks is a whole new population of, of folks that maybe are completely locked in or paralyzed who you may don't even have eye movement, um, who now are suddenly able to, you know, communicate, control their house using Alexa, whatever it might oh, be. Wow. Great. And now if I could just synopsize, and the only reason you stated very clearly, but there was a lot in there. <laughs> that yeah. I want to make <laughs> yep. sure that we just recapitulate here. So. First off, uh, the, the device connects to our head via seven electrodes that do not go into our brain, but instead sit on top. Um, and then 
using this device, a person, let's say like a Stephen Hawking, who we may remember he would like look back and forth at a screen and somehow it would track his eye movements and he could spell words. But instead of that, uh, a person maybe who couldn't even do that would be able to uh, communicate with others. Is that correct? Yep, you've got it exactly. So this is it's this is the the first uh, portable non-invasive uh, brain computer interface, and I'll, I'll describe how that works in a second. But first, I have to say, ha ha, we beat Elon Musk to market. He's been our competition. <laughs> so <laughs> well, take that's that. great. I'm glad to hear uh, that. And I <laughs> look forward to seeing you guys battling it out in the marketplace. Boy, that'll be great. But. Um, but so yeah, so the way this works is, um, uh, is something called evoked potentials. So say for example, you're walking down the street and your arm is swinging and it, it's, it's doing its normal arm thing. And then somebody runs up and pinches you. Well, you're gonna have an evoked potential in your brainwave that is indicating that sort of pain that you've experienced on your arm. Um, now, we decided that pinching people is not a good solution <laughs> for uh, building a communication device. So what we're using actually is, uh, they're called steady state or code modulated visual evoked potentials. So we break that down, as I know we're getting really jargony now. Um, so if, you're, if you think of this display, uh, that's kind of an overlay on the world, um, there could be folders full of phrases, there could be a keyboard, um, there could be oh, different wow. interactive elements, and all of them are, um, are basically fluctuating at a specific frequency. So five hertz, eight hertz, 12 hertz, 15 hertz. And based on what you're fixated on, we use the five electrodes in your occipital lobe, the back of your head, which is where um, you know all the sort of visual processing happens, to look through all that noise and find that, I guess I would call it a sine wave, right? Like what frequency is um, are, are we seeing? Is it that five hertz or is it that 12 hertz? And um, very rapidly, we can actually discern intentionality. Um, even if someone uh, can't move their eyes to physically look at something, um, they can still, what we would call attend to it. You can sort of look at something in your peripheral vision and that'll activate it. So I just wanna make sure, uh, because obviously we could spend not only all day, but the rest of our lives talking about this. And I'm sure that's what exactly you'll be doing, Luke. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's because this is a deep field and, and I'm very, uh, you know, God bless you for the work that you're doing. I think it's fantastic. But I would like to, because I, I want to talk about the company as well, but I want to make sure that uh, it's clear that the reason why this device was originally created or the number one uh, objective for it was to help people communicate who currently cannot is that kind of, I mean, does that really in a very tight bundle synopsize it? Yep, that's that's the most succinct way I would put it. I, I would add also, you know, we have, uh, Amazon's been very gracious with us. So we're, we have Alexa integrated, so there's that's a control cool. element. And, you know, I would like to also add, um, you know, at some point, YouTube videos and, and games and all those those different things. But well, I, the I critical piece like is to, communication. Um, because I have a little podcast called uh, the Radio Free Enterprise Minute that's available as an Alexa flash briefing, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yep. And so I do have a little bit of understanding about Alexa skills and that kind of thing. Very little. Um, but could we go down that rabbit hole for a minute? What can I do with that thing on my head and communicating with Alexa or just some ideas of what I might be able to do in the future? Well, the critical thing is is... I mean, any anything that you could do with an Alexa, right? And and part of why 
it, this is sort of exceptional is that you don't even need to own an Alexa device. It actually is a hub itself, which um, is an exception that's, that's sort of rarely been made. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, you could be, um, for example, the, the, the devices all have the ability to have cellular um, access. You could put a SIM in it from Verizon or whatever and be going down the street and say, where's the closest Italian restaurant? And it'll give you directions in the heads up display. Um, uh, you can turn on and off the lights in your house. There was a story recently in New York Times, actually, about a couple that was divorced because um, the woman had ALS and the husband wouldn't turn her fan on uh, enough when oh. she asked for it. Uh, you get, and, uh, and I kept thinking, I could have saved that marriage. Oh, wow. uh, although I suspect there was more going on than just the fan. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, but these are folks that, that haven't had a meaningful ability to impact their environment, you know, and then you think about um, about about kids, too. You know, one of the conditions we work with is Rett syndrome, which is a paralysis that only affects women. Um, and uh, I, I, I work, I, there's one student I know really well, she's 17 years old, completely cognitively intact. And um, how often does a kid like that get to slam the door on her parents or leave her room messy or, uh, you know, these sorts of things? Like the only option these kids have is refusal. And then that gets interpreted in the education system as like some adverse behavior. And, you know, they get put on a plan when really like now we can give her the ability to drive a little drone through a, bu a bunch of bowling pins or <laughs> whatever you want to do as a 17 year old. <laughs> That's great. And, you know, as frustrating as it is being 17 under any conditions to have that extra layer of frustration must be quite a challenge. And, uh, right. It's wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Now this is fascinating stuff. And I really, it even pains me to turn away from the functioning of the device. Uh, let me ask you one more thing before we turn to the business. What other things might this device be able to do in the future, even for people who don't have these types of uh, communication challenges? Well, that's, yeah, that's going to be an interesting, um, you know, thing to explore. Like, uh, I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to the business thing, but one mantra okay. I've always tried to live by is that um, a good business model is based on one new idea surrounded by a bunch of old tested ones. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we the, the industry of augmentative communication has been around for a pretty fair amount of time now. Um, and what we're introducing to it that's new is this brain computer interface and, and the AR. And, I'll, uh, you know, to some extent, I'm, I'm just going to be so curious to see what the community creates. Um, mm -hmm. But there's there's a ton, excuse me, there's a ton of things I can think of uh, that that would be useful for, for neurotypical adults. Like a good example of that is I, our Alexa is in my kitchen um, and my wife was cooking the other day and I wanted to turn the lights off and it couldn't hear me because there was too much going on. And I was like, I need the visor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can just do it with my brain, you know? Um, but uh, you know, what we're seeing right now is uh, in the AR world, for example, augmented reality is, is mostly video games and then industrial applications. Um, mm. And one thing that's been said is uh, that augmented reality is a, is a wonderful technology that doesn't have enough content yet. Um, and wow. so this is an extra piece of content we're bringing in terms of serving the disability community. Mm -hmm. But it could be used, I mean, uh, you know, without going into too much detail, uh, there's certainly is a lot of interest from, you know, space exploration companies mm -hmm. and the military um, uh, around these sort of applications. 
you know, you said something about what the community will develop. Does that mean there's going to be like a software developer kit and APIs and that kind of thing that you're going to let people to connect with the device and develop apps? Yes, absolutely. So there's, um, there's, there's, uh, of the device itself, there's basically what we call the firmware, right, which is the, the chip and the board on it. There's what we call the application layer, which is the holographic display. But then there's two other application. One of one of them is for caregivers, um, and it's uh, so they can make modifications to vocabulary or check on the fitting of the brain computer, um, those sorts of things. And then there's another suite uh, that's for uh, researchers and hobbyists, um, where they can sort of take it and you know get the get the raw output, tinker with it, um, build their own stuff. Uh, and that, in fact, that's the market that we're going into first um, because. Uh, the FDA uh, has this funny thing about testing stuff and making sure it doesn't right. hurt people, and so we have to we have to we have to wait a little bit for for Medicaid clearance. Um, and, but we can definitely sell into the the hobbyist sort of space and to the academic space. Oh, I see. Okay, great. And I'm sure you'll still learn a lot of things. I want to say to you and also to people watching and listening that. Uh, there is an interview I did with the founder of a software company called Snipply that's on RadioFreeEnterprise.com somewhere, but I bring it to your attention because he said something interesting. He said, we decided not to tell the community what Snipply was good for. We wanted them to tell us what it was good for. And one of the things that they found was people came up with all sorts of applications they'd never considered. And they even created a huge number of YouTube tutorials that explained how to use the software itself and how to use it in these different applications. So uh, you're probably more aware of this type of thing than I was, but I see a direct correlation there. Now, no, that's that's great. I love that comparison. Yeah, and and you know, really, the the origins of this entire industry are are basically hobbyist nerds with ALS in the '70s that started to build no their own stuff for themselves. You know, so uh, there's a very there's a very strong maker ethos uh, uh, embedded. But go ahead, sorry. Well, I look forward to seeing where this all takes you and where it takes uh, your community. Okay, so let's get back to the nuts and bolts as far as the business okay. goes. You're talking about which markets you're going into first and that kind of thing. And as much good as you guys are looking to do here, it's got to come back to trying to turn a profit. So uh, at foundational level, when was the uh, company founded and, and when did you first come on board? Um, so the, the, the company's actually been around for um, about five years um, in various forms. So uh, it started out, uh, our CEO's uh, mother was intubated with pneumonia and um, he realized he couldn't even get a yes or no answer in that scenario, which by the way, we've seen some parallels uh, in, and had done some work with Corona uh, in that regard. Hmm. Um, but so he uh, created a, a small appliance that she could use to, to communicate and then that became um, an application which we have on uh, the market for iPad and, and uh, iPhone called SpeakPros, um, which is uh, it's really designed for, for touch communication and then gradually on the iPad for eye gaze communication and then um, ultimately into the wearable. So there's kind of the story of uh, progression, right? That if you get that new diagnosis that, you know, you like one of the one of the issues that we have, for example, is that um, you typically can only get uh, funding for uh, a medical device every five years. 
Um, and I've seen it happen far too many times that somebody will, will fund a touch-based device in year two of their progression. And then year three, they need eye gaze and they're out of luck, right? Um, uh, because these are not inexpensive. So I'm sorry, um, I need to interrupt so, you there. When you say get funding, yeah. from whom? From the, the investment well, so, community? No, funding. So this would be for um, for the individual with the diagnosis. So insurance funding. Um, oh, oh, not you, Medicaid. The patient. I apologize. Okay. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So so that's and and the uh, the Medicaid like for a traditional eye gaze system, um, for example, the Medicaid cap. Uh, it's E twenty five ten is the code, and it's about sixteen thousand seven hundred dollars. Um, is, uh, so it's not exactly something you just write a check for. I mean, some people might, but um, oh, you know, we're we are equaling or exceeding that capacity at, at a lower price point. So, um, okay, that's exciting. All right, and I'm sorry. It, here's what you were saying when I interrupted you and took your train of thought right off the track was you were saying that because somebody can only get funding every or for a period of five years or I, once every five years. Uh, that this causes a problem uh, for your product development. Is that where you were going with that? Well, it causes a problem for product development in general, I would say, in, in the industry. Like I've seen, you know, I've worked at other companies. I, I worked at um, this, a company called Toby Dynavox for many years. I was the director of product, which is the kind of the, the big guy in our industry. And um, that's where I would see this happen is that the people would buy or would end up, you know, insurance funding a, a durable touchscreen communication device. And then um, that wouldn't meet their needs a year or two later. And, uh, you know, they they wouldn't be able to get um, funding for, for something that did. Um, what we're trying to do is to sort of create a story where we have these really low cost, essentially apps, right? If you have an iPad, iPhone, mm. you get the app. You and, um, you, you know, that, and that suits your needs. And then, you know, if and when you need to graduate to the, the wearable, um, then all of your language history and all everything, your configurations all kind of come with you. That's really neat. And, you know, I hate to invoke the name of uh, Elon Musk, but is this uh, similar <laughs> to like over the air updates? In other words, you can sort of build these as you can afford them or as a patient, you can add more functionality over time. Yep. 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 And so uh, I, I wouldn't over the air is a, is a good way of putting it. Um, the, the caveat that I would add for, for anyone listening is that we are very privacy conscious, right? Oh, um, okay. You know, not just not just because we should be, but also because that's required by HIPAA and GDPR and those things. So, um, for example, like when I talk about storing uh, utterance history or, uh, you know, improving prediction over time based on someone's language, um, we have no visibility on any of that. Uh, I mean, that, that happens in a completely encrypted way. Um, and even the Alexa integration is opt-in. So you can run this device with no connection whatsoever um, if you'd like. You wouldn't get the full benefit of it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but right. So there, um, we can we can pu uh, push firmware updates. We can push software updates, um, and that's expected. I mean, that's going to happen all the time. That's great. Okay, now you guys are currently a privately held company. Is that correct? We are. All right, and you're raising. Uh, uh, you know, we do have investors, uh, all stripes, uh, who watch and listen to Radio Free Enterprise. Uh, in fact, I've thought of someone I want to introduce you to. 
uh, if, uh, if that makes sense at some point. But um, I want to get a feel for uh, longtime watchers and uh, listeners know I've made a lot of investor presentations. I was the co-founder and CEO of a dot-com 20-some-odd years ago. And uh, that, that was a heck of a roller coaster ride, but I have made a lot of investor presentations and I know uh, probably more than I know about Alexa skills. I know about uh, trying <laughs> to raise money. And, Can um, Alexa so, teach me about raising VC funds? That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Don't do it. No, uh, <laughs> that's not what I would say, but it's tough. And uh, I actually do have quite a bit I would like to share with you about that. But in any event, let me try to help walk you through this here. Um, are you comfortable with saying how much money you guys have raised to date? It's okay if you're not. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's available, uh, you know, even on, on TechCrunch and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, you know, we've, we've raised slightly over 5 million um, for, for the work that's been done so far. Um, we uh, would like to raise about the same amount um, again uh, to, to, I mean, we, you know, there's, as you know, of course, there's, there's various sort of, uh, charted out allocations of funds, right? Of what we would like to do with, with amount X and amount Y. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, something in the, the 10 to 12 million range would would enable us to sort of serve all the markets that we want to at the scale that we want to. Um, uh, you know, less than that is, is really just uh, gives us more runway. Uh, it's gonna, you know, leave us a little bit longer in the academic community. Um, but what we really wanna do is get to this into the hands of, uh, uh, you know, the people that, that need it. So okay. um, so some of that allocation of funds is, is the regulatory process, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to it. So uh, you uh, use of funds, use of proceeds, uh, there would be, depending on how much you get. And believe me, I understand that. Uh, of course, there's, you know, overhead and stuff like that that has to be uh, paid for. Uh, but you would also be looking to do some additional research and development uh, and, and marketing research for that matter to find and, and go into different markets with this product. Is it at that level of maturity, the product itself, is it ready to go to market? Let's say non-medical, because I understand about the restrictions there. Yeah. So we are on what we're calling um, P2. So we've had an alpha, prototype one, prototype two. We, we're going to do two more iterations of the hardware over the course of the next about two and a half months. But none of it is about functionality at this point. It's all just about sort of fit and aesthetic. Um, just, just little things we've noticed when we've been out doing um, you know, clinical trials. So we are, I mean, the, the device is, is functional. Um, we have a, a group of people that we call the Brainiacs that number almost 100 that are uh, uh, people that are actually impacted by relevant disorders, um, cerebral palsy, ALS, uh, aphasia, um, whatever it might be that are actively testing um, devices. And so that's as, as the clinical um, guy, that, that's kind of me, my main role is to coordinate um, the testing uh, and uh, as well as doing these things that would be a whole other conversation like building out the language systems and um, you know trying to work on what we call rate enhancement which is allowing people to say things as quickly as, as possible um, but yes it'd be great to have a big team <laughs> for that <laughs> wonderful it's so exciting the work that you guys are doing and it reminds me I came across something here that I want to throw in here you personally uh, have twice won the Best of Show Award at CES, the Communer, Co Consumer Electronics, uh, whatever it is, 
show, I guess is what it is, in the category of technology for a better world. Best of show in technology for a better world. So this is not your first rodeo in terms of bringing cool technology to the market, is it? No, this is this has been. Uh, I mean, it's been a real piece of passion for me for for a long time. And it, you know, it's funny how how trajectories change. You know, I I was originally a math and a computer science major, and um, uh, you know, my university had the audacity to uh, to force me to take classes that were outside of my you know <laughs> core area yeah something like that and um i so i chose a course in linguistics and i think it was literally so that i could sleep in um tuesdays and thursdays and um and uh, i just fell in love with it uh, you know everything that i liked about math and then saying just watching this uh complexity sort of reduce itself into something just beautiful and simple and powerful and understandable and um you know the infinite generability of language and um so i uh i i've just always um i've always been really interested in in language i guess as a as a topic um and then became even more interested in uh you know when i started to meet people that maybe didn't have access to language um but had absolutely you know full perception of their environment and these other things so um so yes uh ces has been very kind to me over the years we might we'll see if we get number three with this guy ces been i don't know are they, they, maybe they won't do it this year yeah right right <laughs> yeah virtual show okay i you know as i say because i've made a lot of presentations myself i could imagine that your presentations present you know special challenges in terms of trying to explain to the prospective investor what you do in dollars and cents, what the market opportunity is, and that kind of thing. Can you give me a, a, a roadshow horror story or some particular presentation that you did that uh, just didn't go so well? Oh my gosh, uh, there's so many to choose from. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the biggest challenge, right, is, um, it is just simply how much there is to explain because right. very often um, you need to start just even explaining the concept of of you know disability impacting speech right and and what those populations are uh, you know and then you get to explain why we're doing the mixed reality thing you know and then you get to explain brain computer interface and how that functions and um uh, you know, and then and then we start to get into market sizing, and uh, and and people have a hard time believing it. I mean, we've done. I've spent two years. I've I've one thousand two hundred and twenty-seven citations on a document sizing the market globally, wow. and uh, I'm very confident in my numbers. Um, and it's it really is this kind of invisible minority. Uh, like uh, so many of these folks that could benefit are in care homes, or you know, being taken care of by family, or whatever it might be. And even if we remove autism spectrum disorder from the equation, because that's its own thing, um, you know, this is still, it's globally, it's a multi-billion dollar potential market um, hmm. at, uh, at these prices. So, um, well, you know, it's not you um, much of the Apple, uh, your but, fees or the cost of your product potentially could be paid by either the a government, uh, a state or by an insurance company. And as a result, it's less of a... Uh, purchase decision issue for the patient and their family. Right, right. It's it really the, and all of the companies that do this, I mean, there's, 
I, I would say there's maybe a thousand of us in the world that, that specialize in this, like talk about a niche profession, right? I'm a little hyper-specialized. Mm -hmm. um, and we all talk to each other and we're all friendly because the only competition is awareness. Um, the, the, you know, when we're talking about the best market only having 7% penetration, um, you know, we've got a long way to grow. Uh, and um, so, uh, so right. So I'm not, um, I mean, it's, it's on the one hand, that's kind of depressing, right? That we want more people to have access to this, but on the other hand, it's, it's a fun time to be, you know, can I say I'm young in my career at 40? Is that still count? Sure, so you look young from I get, to, I get to watch this for a while still. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about this. Uh, do you guys have a particular exit strategy in mind? I mean, again, I'm speaking to uh, uh, prospective investors out there. Are you thinking that eventually your device or your company might be acquired by a large pharma company or technology company? Or are you thinking about doing an initial public offering? Or what if a SPAC comes calling? What uh, have you guys thought that far down the road? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, hmm, how to answer that question elegantly? So um, there's, a, um, you know, another one of these fun uh, Medicaid requirements is that uh, when you when you fund a device um, through insurance or through the government, it has to be maintained and operational for five years, um, which I have seen be uh, the death knell <laughs> of uh, of many a startup that um, sort of drown themselves in technical debt because maybe the new version of Windows or iOS doesn't, it breaks something and you know, the programmer that worked there isn't there anymore or whatever it might be. So um, we are absolutely prepared to move forward, um, you know, as an independent speech generating company, uh, finish our series A and, uh, you know, move towards a public offering at some point. Um, we would also, however, be open to, uh, you know, a larger organization um, acquiring us, provided that uh, that the mission sort of remained intact, right? Um, we wouldn't want to be sold just for the ARVR, or just for the BCI. We'd want to continue to serve this population, um, especially because, you know, these are commitments that have been made. These are major decisions. You know, when people decide to use our platform, it'd be like switching from an English keyboard to a French keyboard the next day uh, if you wanted to use something different. So oh, wow. um, we want to make sure Ooh. it survives. Um, yeah, that's, and, that's uh, a big well, you know, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and, and, you know, in full disclosure, there we've had those conversations. I mean, people are interested. Uh, um, but what's funny, uh, going back to your question about talking to investors, is that it, 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 very few groups have the holistic ability to do the due diligence needed to understand the, mm. the entire technological picture. You know, the the clinical, the BCI, the AR, the the battery, the heat, you know, all these different things. And so it ends up being that a lot of folks will sort of wait for that one investor that does, you know, like, ooh, okay, all right, they said yes, therefore. Um, so I would say we have a good number of folks in the wings, but um, we need someone to really say, okay, we took a hard look at this and that's we know interesting, it works. and that is not uncommon. Uh, I can see where it's particularly yeah. apt in this uh, situation because of those due diligence uh, challenges. But I've, that also happens a lot. There's a lot of you know uh, people uh, who climb on the game wagon, the bandwagon, once some big name uh, attaches their uh, their brand to it. Are you guys uh, right. thinking about any other uh, products or services, or is this is the is the one? the one 
Well, that's an interesting. So no, there will. This is absolutely what I conceptualize as V1, right? So um, partially just because of its size. Like for example, we really um, we're you know we're serving adult size heads here. <laughs> you know, this is <laughs> basically 12 to 14 years old and up. And um, uh, there are people with needs that are younger than that. There are people with needs that have macro or microcephaly. Um, there's you know some concerns about photosensitive epilepsy that we could address. So. Um, you know, there will be more uh, of this, and we will also continue to develop our, our tablet solutions and the rest of the story. Um, uh, it, I mean, it, it, there's almost too many ideas, right? So okay. it, at this point, especially with a small company, it's like we're keeping, let's, let's rehab a roadmap through the launch of, of this guy. And, um, you know, and then a big part of where we go next is going to be based on um, consumer feedback, you know. Uh, what we hear, um, but I, I'm I'm confident that that there will be uh, a, a, a V2. <laughs> okay. But don't don't no don't don't wait because this one took a, a good four years. So um. sure. <laughs> well, if uh, an investor or anybody else is uh, interested in what you've had to say here, uh, is there a best way for them to learn more or reach out and contact you or Cognition Loop? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and uh, I can I can send the email. I can put it in the show notes or whatever the um, uh, the address. But the the best place to go is one uh, o n e dot cognition uh, c o g n i x i o n dot com. Um, if you go there, there's a, a a really detailed layout of the functionality and the technical specs, as well as a contact form um, at the end. Uh, uh, you're also welcome to to reach out um, to uh, to our CEO directly, who's Andreas A N D R E A S at cognition.com, or um, or myself. And I'm 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 Luke. I'm just Luke Stuber. So L U K E S T E U B E R dot com. And right. You'll see all kinds of silly pictures of me. Although the other pictures have more hair. I don't know where all that went. <laughs> well, yeah, these things happen. We age over time. Things change. Um, Okay, you know, I always like to ask, and this may be a big mistake on my part, in your particular case, Luke, and in the topic area where we've been talking about, but we are just about out of time, and on the way out the door, I always like to ask my guests if there is a question I have not asked you, or a thought that's come to you as we've been talking, that you wanted to be, share to, be sure to share before we signed off. Yeah, I love that question. That's a, um, when I used to work in the schools, we, you know, there's this thing uh, called IEP meetings, right? If a student is in special education and I would always, at the end, I would always ask the parents, you know, what would you like to ask? What would you like to know that I didn't talk about? And, um, and that would always, you know, open up a floodgate. And so, um, I mean, we, we, we covered this, this stuff, I think pretty well. I think, I think, if there's a closing message um, I would have is that, um, you know, for, for too long, I think that people with disabilities have uh, gotten sort of the scraps of the consumer market, right? Um, you know, they haven't really been first class citizens in technology. And um, I don't like that. So, uh, you know, for, for some people, um, technology makes things easier, right? But for, for, for other people, technology makes things possible. And um, I, I, I would just encourage everyone to sort of, as, as they speak and they go about their day, um, to think about uh, not only the power of the words that they're using and what they would do without them, 
but also to recognize that we're all users of AIEC already. Like I, I probably send more emails and text messages than I do talk in an hour today. Right. And that's, mm. what's the difference really. So, um, I, okay. I'll stop the philosophizing, but very good question. Luke Stuber, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for your time. It's great. Thanks again to Luke and thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Frank Felker saying I'll see you on the radio. Forgiving your entrepreneurial sins with a gentle wave of his microphone, here's Frank Felker.